We're so glad that you are with us at South City Church. Uh, my name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been in a series called Follow. This is our Advent series this year. This is the second uh, study, if you will. Uh, last Sunday, we met in our city groups around the city. And we talked about Mary. And we talked about this beautiful story of Mary from the Gospel of Luke. And how Mary uh, gave of herself, even though she didn't completely understand even though it was a difficult, can you imagine, a difficult situation? I have a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old, little girls. They're my little girls. And somewhere between 13 and 16 is probably the age of Mary. And how terrifying and, and frightening and difficult to understand that God would ask you to carry a baby at that age. And just so much unknown. And yet we see this beautiful surrender and submission when she says, let it be to me as you have said. Isn't that amazing? You know what it reminded me of? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, remember when we studied this in Mark? Lord, not my will, but yours. Sounds the same, doesn't it? It's the same phrase. Lord, not what I want, not what I, not what I think is right for me. Lord, you, you do what you want to do in my life. And may that be true of all of us as we seek to know the Lord more and be used of and for his glory. Today we're going to study uh, the story of Joseph. We're kind of going through these uh, character series or character studies, if you will, uh, of the Christmas story. And so we've, we talked about Mary, and now we're going to go through the story of Joseph, and we're going to look at it out of the Gospel of Matthew. These stories are going to sort of be chronological, if you will. Uh, I think so. <laughs> and so we've seen Mary being, getting the news of becoming pregnant, and now we're going to talk about Joseph getting that news as well and how he responds to the same situation. If you have your Bibles in Matthew 1, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you, will, uh, you, will call, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Can we pray and ask the Lord to bless this time of study together? Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy this morning that we as a family of families can come together and worship you, that we can look into your word, even the story, Lord, that we are so familiar with. Some of us, as we read these words, we just, you know, we just kind of yawn and go, yeah, I've heard this. I know this. But there's so much here, Lord, as we look deeper into this story and we look deeper into this willingness to surrender. I pray, God, that you would cause us to look into our own hearts deeply and give us a spirit of submission and surrender as well. 
Lord, I pray with all my heart that by your spirit, you would lead us to all truth. God, that I would decrease, that you would increase in this time, that you would show us the beauty of who you are and how you wanna use us for your glory. God, thank you for this word. And I pray that we would uh, take it seriously today as we come to it today in humility, to study it, learn from it, live by it, stand for it. Um, We pray these things, Lord, in your precious and wonderful name, amen. So, you know, I like to teach in such a way for us to study the word in such a way that we're considering contextually what's going on here. You know, we just finished the study of of Mark. It took us a year and we went verse by verse. And so here we're kind of jumping into these stories. And even though we're continuing to teach these in a sort of an expositional way, I want to give a little background to Matthew. This is Matthew 1.18, right? Well, what happens to the first 17 verses in Matthew? If you know, uh, if you've studied it very much, you know that Matthew is writing here to a Jewish audience. He's writing, and one of the things that Matthew is, is, is uh, so determined to do in those first 17 verses is to prove to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Messiah of the Old Testament. So he wants to show proof. He wants to give uh, evidence. And so the first 17 verses deal with a genealogy uh, from where the line that Jesus came from. It's important that we know that. Uh, The Bible tells us all throughout the Old Testament that Messiah would come through a lineage. As king of Israel, he'd come through the lineage of Abraham, right? Genesis 12 says that God says to Abraham that I'm gonna bless you and you're gonna be a blessing to every family on earth. And how does that deal with Jesus? Well, if you know Jesus as your savior, whether you're in Iran or North Korea, right, or Africa or America, if you know Jesus, what a great blessing to know him as your savior. And so that is fulfillment through Abraham, that Jesus would be a blessing to every family who knows him. And then also the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come through the the line of David as well. It's called the Davidic covenant, that through David's line, God would have a king on his throne forever and ever and ever. And so there's all types of of Old Testament stories that kind of speak to this. And so Matthew in these first 17 verses is speaking about Jesus being this Jewish king, this Messiah uh, fulfilled from the Old Testament. But not just showing him as many people believe Messiah to be as sort of this conquering king, right? This military king. Matthew's gonna show that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament, but all throughout the gospel of Matthew, he's gonna show that He has a kingdom, but his kingdom is not here to conquer as much as to give peace and and bring hope and life and salvation. Ultimately, Jesus will conquer. We know that. I just finished, uh, or I'm finishing. We've got one more week, don't we, Steve? In our triad, we're studying Revelation, and that has been incredible, and Jesus indeed conquers. Uh, But when he comes the first time, he comes as this uh, king to save and redeem our souls not just to conquer Rome, as many believed. And of course, Matthew, throughout his gospel, teaches what it's like to live in this kingdom of this Savior, right? The the Sermon on the Mount, all these stories, all these lessons we see throughout the gospel of Matthew speak of Jesus as king and his kingdom and how we live in it. But Matthew here is showing what, what does it mean that Jesus is the fulfillment through this lineage, 
What does it mean? And one of the things that I love about Matthew's lineage, and I'm sure you've heard it preached or talked about, I just wanted to touch on it for a moment, but it's this beautiful element of grace that flows even through the genealogy of Jesus. So as you look in those first 17 verses, there's mention of five different women. Now, normally when you do a genealogy, you don't mention women. Sorry, ladies, it's just the way they did it. They mentioned fathers, right? Men. This man begat this man, and this man begat this man, and that's the way it goes. But Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to list five women. And those are very interesting studies. Maybe one day our Christmas series will be on those studies of those women. But I just want to remind you of who they are and remind you that Matthew is bringing out in this genealogy that God is a God of grace. He's a God of grace that even in this lineage is a picture of God's beautiful grace. The first one he mentions uh, is from Genesis 38, and that is Tamar. As you study uh, Tamar's story, she's, she's something else, I'll say, you know. We all have those people in our, in our family tree, uncle so-and-so, aunt so-and-so, oh boy, you don't talk about her, everybody kind of goes, oh, right? That's kind of this situation. Even in Jesus' lineage, Tamar, Right? She was the daughter-in-law of uh, Judah. Jesus comes through the line of Judah, right? Same Judah. And she kind of manipulates and does some things and ultimately has Judah's children. This is part of the line of, of, of Jesus. So that's a little sketchy. God's given inspiration for Matthew to include Tamar in that story. Also, he mentions Rahab. Remember Rahab? She was the prostitute who uh, helped the spies in the wall of Jericho. A little, little sketchy, right? A little sketchy of a story. God is a God of what? Grace. And if we looked into your life or if you looked into mine, you would go, you know what? God is a God of what? Grace. Then we see the story of Ruth. So you go, well, how's that a, a story of grace? Well, Ruth was a Moabite. And Israelites were to only marry other Israelites, other Jewish people. So she really wasn't to be allowed into that faith, into that family. But by God's grace, Ruth is allowed into this family, into this nation. Also, the story of Bathsheba. Her name is not mentioned here, but it says, the way it puts it is the wife of Uriah. Of course, we know that to be Bathsheba. From Bathsheba comes King Solomon. Again, part of the lineage from where Jesus comes from. The, the beauty that I want you to see is that even in this lineage and even in this uh, the story that God is writing in them and in you and in me is a story and a lineage of grace. It's a story of grace. We need a savior. So he shows this uh, genealogy of grace. And then also he shows this fulfillment of scripture. So look with me. Let's take another look at the first couple of verses in our text today. Matthew 1, 18 and 19. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is after the genealogy. This is now how, this is how he got here. This is to show proof that he truly is Messiah. Now let's look at the birth story, Matthew says in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, we're gonna talk about that in a minute, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to, to divorce her quietly. 
Now this is a, I'm going to stop right there and we're going to talk about that much for a minute, okay? So <laughs> this is an interesting little snapshot of Joseph. We see, um, well, of course, last week we talked about Mary and, and understanding that she's going to be pregnant now and she surrenders to God's will. She follows, if you will, the Lord's will. And now we see Joseph and we see his response to that. Matthew says they're betrothed. That's not a word we use in American culture. We use words like engagement. And it's similar, but not the same, right? Last night I was at uh, the Browns' son and new daughter-in-law, congratulations, uh, wedding last night of Austin and Shay, and it was beautiful. And they've been engaged to one another. It's similar to being betrothed, but in a Jewish betrothal, it's a little different. There's some elements that are different. Number one, uh, Mary was probably, like I said, between 13 and 15, 13 and 16. And Joseph was probably several years older than her. Right? That was their culture. Some of you are going, that's weird. That's okay. That's just their culture. That's the way it worked back in that day. Uh, one thing I will say is they were arranged marriages. So it, it helps to know that because Mary and Joseph probably grew up together. They probably knew one another. They probably had a trust and a friendship, not just one another, but as families. By the way, I, just a note to my girls, I'm not that uh, opposed to arranged marriages. I'll take your applications fathers as you see fit kidding sort of uh no the arranged marriages weren't that bad of a deal because you you knew the family right you knew this is a good family and that's a good young man I like I like this young man and we're going to work this out so that's kind of what this was so Mary and Joseph probably knew one another they become betrothed what that means some of the the rules if you will of betrothal is that uh they couldn't live under one roof uh but they uh and they couldn't have sex because they hadn't had a marriage uh, covenant. They hadn't had the marriage ceremony, but they were betrothed. So it's a little strange for us. It's just the cultural reality of what betrothal was. Um, he could be referred to as her husband and she his wife in ways. Um, and if they wanted to break up for some reason, they had to get a divorce. So they hadn't had the marriage ceremony at this point. Um, and, that's just, and this is important. Some of you are going, why is it important to know that? Well, it's important because we're talking about the virgin birth of Jesus. Many people will say, well, okay, that's a little too far of a stretch. Come on, a virgin birth, really, that's not possible. Yeah, all things are possible with God. Isn't that what we learned last week? Isn't that what the angel said to Mary? When she's going the same, saying the same thing, uh, I haven't known a man, how does this work? And the, and the angel says, all things are possible with God. So, the thing that we have to see here is Matthew is helping his audience and us to understand they have not come together. Look in our text here. Verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, watch what it says, before they came together. What's he saying? They had not had sex. This is, Mary was a virgin. Jesus was a result of a virgin being uh, conceive, or this child being conceived within a virgin. So Matthew's doing his best to help us truly understand that this is what is happening. This is a miraculous conception of Jesus. So that's the reason he talks about uh, wanting to divorce. They hadn't had the marriage ceremony, and so even though he was considered husband, he would have to divorce to break up. Also, what's interesting is as he's considering divorce, the text tells us Joseph is a just man. Again, when you think about the context of Joseph probably knew Mary his whole life. So he loved Mary. 
He cared about Mary, not just even as his, his, his wife, as his friend. They go back a long ways. Families know one another. He doesn't want harm to fall upon Mary. And the Jewish punishment for adultery, which is what would have happened had she been pregnant from another man, then he could have brought legal charges in divorce publicly for her and she would have been stoned under Jewish law. I was talking to my wife about this. Just, just the power, just, and I believe God is a, a sovereign God, but just the fact that that's even sort of part of the story that Joseph had a potential to say, no, I want her to be stoned. Just even think that through. It's hard to wrap your brain around. But he doesn't want her to be harmed. And so the text tells us he doesn't want to bring uh, illegal charges against her. He wants to, what the text says, divorce her quietly. Let's just, let's just step back out of this. Let, let's, this is not what I was planning. This is not what I wanted. Let's just, let's just make some changes here. So Matthew lets us know Joseph's intent to divorce Mary. He's done. He's gonna move on with his life. He's gonna step out of this obviously bad situation. All right, this doesn't look good, Mary. I, I can't understand this. I can't explain this to my friends. As a just man, I don't wanna be connected to this, right? So he's going to divorce her quietly and clear his name. Listen, Joseph was just like you and me. He's just thinking about himself. He's just thinking about what's best for him. He, he's making this choice and he loves her and he's just, he wants to do it quietly, but he's still thinking about himself. So yes, he was kind. Yes, he didn't want to shame Mary, but he was divorcing her until God stepped in, right? Until God showed up through this angel to give him this message. Let's look at these next two verses. But as he considered, verse 20, these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. In other words, go ahead and have the marriage ceremony and marriage covenant. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So God had sent an angel, which is an awesome thing to think about anyway, to little Mary. Remember the text last week, what it said her response was to the angel? She was, uh, how, how did it put it exactly? That she was so afraid. She was, um, can you see it in my notes? She was, she was so uh, greatly troubled. That was it. Remember that? So that shows her response to the angel. And all the times we see people who, who see an angel, encounter an angel, it's frightful. It's fearful. So it's, it's safe to assume that Joseph is afraid as well. But I want you to notice the very first thing that I believe it was probably Gabriel. We know that it was Gabriel that spoke to Zechariah, right? John uh, the Baptist's father. It was Gabriel we see in the text that spoke to Mary. He's kind of the angel of major announcements, if you will, if he had a business card. It's probably the same angel that's now speaking to Joseph. We don't know for sure, but probably. Notice what he says to Joseph first, will you? Like, what's the very first thing that he says to Joseph? He says, Joseph, son of David. Do you see that? The very first thing that the angel does is he speaks to Joseph's identity. 
Joseph, this is who you are. Let me, let me remind you before I tell you the rest here, before, you know, before we get into this too much, remember who you are. Remember from whom you've come. Remember the family that you're connected to. Joseph would have known that he's part of the line of David. That would, that would have been something to be proud of, but, but maybe sort of forgotten and put away. And so here the angel calls it forward to the front part of his mind, the front part of his heart as he tells him the rest of what's about to happen. It, it's, it's like he's reminding him, listen, you're a part of this lineage of king. You're, you're, you're a part of this story that's so much bigger than you. You're a part of a promise, a history and a promise of kings. Joseph, you're right in the middle. And he, he reminds him of this story. I didn't want to go too deep into this because I wanted to, to not keep you too long today. But if you want to take some of these notes down, you can look at them later. These, and there's several more. Beautiful Old Testament prophecies of the line of David right, that Messiah would come through the line of David. Psalm 89, Isaiah 9, 2 Samuel 7, Jeremiah 23. They all speak of Messiah ruling on David's throne, coming through David's descendants forever. Even Revelation, we, we noticed in Revelation that Jesus in heaven is referred to as the root of David, right? That's like in our vernacular, you'd say he's part of, he's part of uh, David's family tree, Right? He, he, he's coming through the line of David. Now, what's interesting, if you're like me and you think through some of this really deeply, one of the things that you might think of is you go, okay, well, he's, he's speaking to Joseph, but Jesus doesn't come through the bloodline of Joseph. Have you ever thought that? However, because Joseph is Jesus' legal father, he is, he is still considered part of that lineage. So Joseph is in this line of, of, of all these different people, Abraham and David specifically. But not only that, we see in Luke 3 another genealogy that deals with Mary's lineage. So whether you look at it through Joseph or you look at it through Mary, we see both are covered. She comes from uh, the line of Judah. Uh, she comes from, she's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. So it, it, Jesus comes through this lineage that we see uh, prophesied throughout the Old Testament. So the, the, the second thing the angel mentions, the first thing is remember who you are. You're the son of David. The second is to not be afraid. He said the same thing to Mary. She was greatly troubled. He says it now to Joseph. And you can imagine, I was looking at that young couple last night and thinking about me and Lori as a young couple at 21 when we got married right there on those steps. Fear was a part of that day, can I just tell you? And I love the fact that God sometimes in his story and in his word gives us this study, this very revealing look into the lives of human beings. Mary and Joseph were human beings. They were afraid. Can I tell you something this morning? It's okay to be afraid because you're human. Do you ever deal with fear? You ever had a diagnosis? or the loss, or loss of a job, or, or a scary moment, and you're, you're full of fear, it's because you're a human being. But what we see in this story and so many others is it's okay to be afraid, but don't stay in fear. God calls us to not be afraid, but to have faith, to replace fe fear with faith. 
right? So it's okay to be afraid, just don't stay there. Some people just get gripped with fear and then they then they're just stay there. That's why the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of uh, uh, fear. A sound, he gives us a sound mind, a disciplined mind that we can move through fear and have faith. And that's what he calls Mary to. That's what he calls Joseph to. Don't be afraid. And then he gives Joseph an assignment, doesn't he? Here's a list, Joseph, of the things I want you to do. First thing I want you to do, marry that girl. It wasn't in your plan. I know you wanted to divorce her, but take Mary as your wife. Same plan, but you're gonna have to have different expectations here, bud. You're gonna have to look at this a little differently, Joseph. Don't divorce her. You're gonna have to humble yourself. Of course, Joseph already knew she was pregnant. And what do you think was going through Joseph's mind in that pregnancy? She's cheated on me, right? that's, that's, That's what you'd have to think. You would begin to think less of her. You would begin to create narratives in your mind to justify the difficulty of this moment, wouldn't you? Have you ever done that before? God, we're, we're walking through this moment and I don't understand it. Oh, I, I guess I understand. Oh, it's because of dot, dot, dot. You ever written that narrative? Oh, I, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm sick, I'm walking through this, this, this ailment. This diagnosis, it's be, oh, it's because of dot, dot. We begin to write narratives sometimes in our difficulties, in the moments of, of unknown, instead of trusting the Lord, instead of looking to him. And Joseph here has written, no doubt, had written a narrative of what he thought was going on, and the angel corrects that narrative. He's saying, you're gonna have to humble yourself. And you know what? Probably people are gonna talk about you, Joseph. People are gonna talk about the fact that, and they're probably gonna think this child is yours. People are not gonna connect you to what they think is a sinful moment. It is not. It is a beautiful thing that God is doing, but you're gonna be connected. The outside perspective may be that you're living in the middle of a scandal. Will you live, Joseph, for other people's approval or for mine? Will you believe the narrative that you've written or will you believe what I've said? We have to find in our own hearts, friends, moments where we trust God over what we wanna write and we seek his approval over that of other men or women. He tells him the baby that's conceived is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You know he's overwhelmed, he's confused, he's trying to make sense of it. This is the moment where Joseph has to believe. You know, uh, I love Henry Blackaby when I, many years ago, he had the experience in God study and we went through it so many times and taught it so many times. And I love that study. It's still so wonderful. I encourage you to read it or go through it. But one of the things that he talks about is when God calls you to himself in relationship, you're gonna have to go through a crisis of belief. You're gonna have to go through a moment where you face a risk. And in order to move forward in your relationship with Jesus, it's gonna, it's gonna be a crisis It's gonna cause you to push through that fear into faith, to believe. But if you don't, you won't go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. You'll stay at a surface level. This is Joseph's moment, his crisis of belief. Is he gonna believe in this moment? To not doubt, that to believe truly what this angel is saying is the truth, that this is a miracle of God. Friends, you have a choice to make in difficult moments. 
Will you trust what the Lord is speaking and saying in his word? Or will you trust the narrative that you're writing? Also, he says, you're gonna call his name Jesus. And then he gives sort of a qualifier. He says, you're gonna call his name Jesus and his name literally means that he will save. And he says, he will save his people from their sins. This is his why. <laughs> you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I just started thinking about that, thinking how often, whether it be on a trip to Bethlehem, Mary on the donkey, whether it be trying to make a fire outside a cold stable or cave, no matter where it was in Egypt that you're thinking, Lord, what is going on? What are you writing? What is this story that you've written us into? That he will say, what does it mean that he will save his people from their sins. And how often he just played that phrase over in his mind and his head and not completely understanding it, but believing and trusting. Did Joseph really realize that Jesus, yes, as Messiah, would be more than a conqueror because he would save his people, not just a nation, but people from their sins? You know, I was looking at this and I thought, this is an interesting coincidence, maybe. I'll just bring your attention to it. These are the same three steps that we have to face when we follow Jesus, right? We have to humble ourselves as Joseph did. We have to believe and we have to call on the name of Jesus. In order to follow Christ, we have to do the same three steps that Joseph had to walk into in this obedient moment, right? So then we see the angel, he's, he's gonna help Joseph see that this is still so much bigger than he is, right? That Joseph, you're connected to this prophetic plan and to all eternity. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, all this took place. All this is taking place, Joseph. All this is happening to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 7, 14. The angel is now quoting exactly Isaiah to help Joseph understand Jesus is in fact the, the Messiah spoken of, prophesied in the Old Testament. This is so much bigger than you, Joseph. I know you're still trying to make sense of it in your mind. You're still trying to wrap your brain around the meaning and significance of this, but it has eternal and prophetic significance. This affects more than your reputation. You know who's thinking about that? This affects more than just your wedding plans or your future. It affects the very salvation of the world. So God here has rearranged Joseph's plan for divorce. And he's given him this assignment. Look at verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. That's in my notes, I went ahead and just bolded that state, statement. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew, uh, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. See, I want you to see, friends, just this moment of simple and beautiful obedience of Joseph. As soon as he wakes up from the dream that God had just told him what to do, he's obedient. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes... God's told me to do something and I've just kind of went, oh, okay, let me pray about it. You ever done that? Let me talk to some friends about it. Let me get some 
Can I just tell you something? If God tells you to do something, you don't need to pray about it anymore. If the Lord speaks to your heart something from his word that you know you need to be obedient in, be obedient. He woke up from this dream and from this commandment and he was obedient to the Lord immediately. God expects immediate obedience. And so he takes his wife. That means that he has the marriage ceremony, that they get married, they make this marriage covenant. He chose God's plan over his own. But then it says he knew her not. This is the second time he, he makes this comment about their physical relationship. Just so that there's clarity here, this is not Joseph's child. Until she had given birth, he, he, Joseph honors the Lord. He responds, he cares for Mary's needs. But, but make no mistake, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph were a married couple. Do, do you hear me? They consummated the relationship. They were together. The Bible even says in Matthew 13, 55, that Jesus had brothers by the name of James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And it also says that all his sisters were with us. Jesus came from a large family. Mary and Joseph eventually had sex and had babies because that's what married people do. And they honor the Lord in that. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Catholics, in their doctrinal, the way they see this, or not see it, is they say that Mary stayed a virgin for the rest of her life. They try to venerate Mary in such a, a way that surely she didn't, well, wasn't married in that way. She stayed a virgin. Friends, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says she was a mom, right? She was a mom. She, she had babies. It's important that we know that, that we see that other aspect of Jesus's family, his siblings, uh, the humanity of Mary and Joseph, but it's also important that what Matthew is trying to communicate here is that Mary was a virgin when she became pregnant with Jesus, but then she had other children, right? And then the last part of the, the assignment for Joseph was to call his name Jesus. Now, what I love about this is he was faithful to follow through with every single directive that the angel gave Joseph, every one. He wakes up, he takes Mary, right? He doesn't know her. He doesn't uh, sleep with her in that way until after the baby is born. Then they're a normal couple. But then he names the child. This, this is, you could read that and kind of just blow past it pretty quick, but I want you to think about this for a moment. For Joseph to name this child, there's something special about naming your baby. I mean, you know, many of you know my story and Lori's story. We, we struggled with infertility for 12 years. And all of our married, our, our dating life and our married life, one of the things I've loved to do for my wife is to give her daisies. Um, I mean, from the time we were in college, I gave her daisies. It's a very, it was a cheap flower. That wasn't the reason I gave them to her. I loved them. I thought they were beautiful. But they're hardy. I don't know if you ever get daisies, but they last a lot longer than other flowers. And they're beautiful and they're simple. And I, I just told Lori, I said, you know what? This beautiful flower reminds me of you. Because there's a simplicity to it. There's a hardiness to it. It lasts and it's gorgeous and you love them. And so I remember for, you know, after, before we were, while we were pregnant, I remember being on a plane and, and I was thinking about daisies and thinking about how much I loved my wife and I thought, what, well, that'd be a cool name for our first child if the Lord gives us a girl. That's how we named Daisy, Daisy. That's how she got her name. 
to this day. And so every year I would give her uh, some little piece of jewelry that had a daisy on it. That would be something to remind her how much I love her and, and the beauty of the gift of our child. There's something beautiful about naming your children, but guess what? Joseph didn't get to name this child because it was God's child. God gave Jesus the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. So in naming Jesus, Joseph, number one, has to submit to understanding this child is on a mission to save his people from their sins and also has to submit to the fact that God is his father. It's still an honor. It's still a, a beautiful thing that the Lord is asking him to do. But he's gonna have to take a secondary role in the life of Jesus. Naming a child is typically a, something a father would do in Jewish culture. And so I'm sure he had to think about that. So as we consider, as we, th we think about all these different aspects, I know we look at these stories and we know them so well, but what does it look like for us to consider the story of Mary and Joseph? What does it look like for us as we consider how Mary followed the will of God? How Joseph was obedient to follow the will of God? What, is it, what does it remind us of? The, the things that I thought of as we close here, a couple of things. Number one, Mary and Joseph were just ordinary human beings who loved the Lord. And yet God did extraordinary things through them, even though there was a lack of understanding, even though there were very, very difficult circumstances. Can you acknowledge that? I mean, they had it rough. This was a difficult moment in their early life and early marriage. But what I see Joseph doing is taking second place. Remember, it wasn't his plan. He was gonna divorce her and God said, don't do it. He obeyed God. He willfully, intentionally took second place. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the stories, they're called I Am Second. Have you ever seen those? They became popular 15 years ago or something. And they're, they're in this white chair and they're usually a celebrity or somebody who's pretty well known. But the whole idea of these videos that made them so popular was whoever the story was about, even though you might know them as a rock star or a, a famous uh, athlete or musician or movie star or whatever they were, they gave their testimony. And the, and the series is called I Am Second because they were there to, to let you know that Jesus is first and I am second. He matters more than me. My story is here, but it's not about my story. It's about the story of Jesus. I, I, in fact, I just told, uh, Stephen, I just told a story um, of, of, of one of our missionaries by the name of Jeremy Hambryce. And, and some of you will see it on social media pretty soon. Jeremy was a... Uh, professional baseball player, played for the Mets, but he loved the Lord. And one day he realized a friend of him helped him understand, hey, playing for the Mets is an amazing thing. But as a believer in Jesus, he wants to use us for eternal purposes. It's a lot more important than just playing ball. And Jeremy began to pray about that and realized that his dream was too small. It was good to play for the Mets, but you know what? God wanted to use him in eternal ways. So Jeremy leaves the Mets and goes and becomes a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And he starts translating the Bible into their language that they had never heard. And now he speaks this language. He's seen many people come to know Christ. It's this beautiful picture of Jeremy saying, Lord, you're more important than my career. I'm second. And what we see in the life of Joseph is, Lord, my plans are not most important. 
your plans are. I'll be second. Friends, can I just encourage you in the same way? This story that God has written you into, the story of your life, even though it seems all important, and I know it does, and you're wrestling with what's important and what you want and what you value and what you think is important, can I tell you something? It's not more important than the story of God. You are not the main character here. You're a supporting character. It's not about you. You and me, we are second. Until you realize that God cannot fully use you. Until you understand that my life is not about me, it's about supporting the story of God. That's what happens in the life of Mary and Joseph that we see. Lord, this is about you. How can I support what you wanna do? And the reality is, is for Joseph, obedience meant humility and faith and surrender and laying down of his rights. Guess what? Obedience still means humility and surrender and laying down of your rights. That's what obedience still means. I remember seeing a quote from John Piper several years ago and it kind of, I think it's my favorite quote from him. It says, I'll read it to you, it says, occasionally weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses, feel the pain, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life that he's given you. I'm gonna read it again, because if, if, it, if it hits you the way it hit me, I was kind of undone for a, a little bit there. He says, occasionally weep deeply over the life that you had hoped would be. Grieve those losses, feel that pain, but then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life that he's given you. See, as a believer, we have to come to this point where we understand what matters most is what God is doing in us. What matters most is how he wants to use us for his glory, for his story. It's not about us. Psalm 84, 11 says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Is God good? Yes. Will God always be good? Yes. But does he use difficulty? Yeah. Does he use brokenness? Yeah. Does he use pain? I'm sorry, yes. And we have to get our hearts into such a place where we say, Lord, this is not about me. I trust you. I hoped life looked differently than this. I hope this would happen with my, my child, that it didn't. I hope that this job would be different. I hope that this would be that. But Lord, I trust you for right where I am, for right what you're doing right now in my life. I trust you. And then the other thing I wanna show you before we go is that God invited Joseph into an eternal story and he does the same with you. There are people around your home, around your neighborhood, around your work who need Jesus and he could use you for eternal purposes. He's written you into this story to be used for his glory in eternal ways, not just today, not just next week, but for all eternity. If we could see that, if we could own that, if we could just be submissive to Jesus to say, Lord, I wanna go. I wanna be intentional about the conversations that I have. I wanna move toward people who are hurting. Not see an issue and go, oh, let me get away from here. That's what Joseph wanted to do, right? There's a little sketchy, let me move away. God says, move to it. 
Who around you is hurting? What neighbor around you is going through something difficult that you can just come and not have every answer, but you can just go, hey, I want to be here with you. I want to walk with you through it. I want to help. What do you need? God wants to use you. So the questions I have for us this morning before we go are these. What area of your life do you need to obey God in? What area of your life, what plans of yours do you have that might need to change? Because they're all about you instead of about following what God maybe wants you to do. What is God calling you to believe over some narrative you've created in your mind? Oh, friends, let us be faithful to trust the word of God and not something that we create. And are you willing to surrender in obedience your life, your body as Mary did, your plans, what others think of you? We learn all these things from these stories of Christmas Mary said, let it be to me, Lord, as you have said. And she followed God's will. And Joseph, he didn't say anything. He just obeyed. He let his life speak for him. I don't care what these other people think of me. If they think I'm connected to some sinful activity, I'm not. I'm being obedient to Jesus. I'm walking this out in humility. I am second. I'm taking a surrendering position. I am not what matters most. This child is. Do you know, we really don't see Joseph's story beyond the Christmas story. I mean, he's, he's kind of missing, for the most part, after Jesus' early life. Because it's not about Joseph, it's about Jesus. Joseph took this risk to be obedient, and often, like I said, there's a risk to being obedient, a, a crisis of belief. What risk have you taken or do you need to take to follow Jesus? Some of you need to take a risk and say, you know what, I feel like the Lord's been moving me towards this direction and I've been afraid. Maybe that's your crisis of belief, to move through fear and replace it with faith. I don't know. I don't know. I felt encouraged to remind you one last verse, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's a song out right now that says, uh, if, if it's not good, then God's not done. I love that. Because God works all things together for, his, for, for good. And if for some reason it doesn't seem good, you just don't see it yet. God's not finished working. But he can use even the most difficult, broken, messed up family. Did we see that in the genealogy? Messed up situation, messed up life, bad decisions. Have you had them? Have you made them? God can turn anything around for his glory. And what he's calling us to is submission, surrender, obedience. I pray that that's what we can do today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the life of Joseph. Thank you for the obedience of Joseph. Thank you for the uh, surrender and obedience of Mary. They followed you. They followed your will and your heart. And if we look at them, Lord, we we don't just see the, the parents of Jesus. We see people like us, afraid, who come from messed up families, who make poor decisions, who want to move away from uh, scandal and issues. 
And sometimes, God, you call us to just follow you, to be obedient, to trust you, to surrender, to take a second place position where you can be first. God, I pray that you'd help us to follow you, to follow your will, to see an eternal picture, a bigger picture than just the life that surrounds us this morning, than what's right in front of us. Help us, God, by your grace and your spirit to to pull back to a 30,000 foot level. And, And my prayer, Jesus, is that you would save us from ourselves, from what narrative we may create, from what we think our worth is based on some family issue. Instead, to look to you, Jesus, to define our worth to look to you, Jesus, to be the most important thing in all of life, for every day of our life. And even if we go away, even, Lord, if our our lives are cut short as Joseph's was evidently, God, that people would look back and go, he chose to be second. He chose to, to surrender, to trust. God, may that be true of us today. God, protect us from ourselves and help us to be all that you have for us and surrender as we lay our lives down for your glory, just as you did, Jesus. That's what you're calling us to. So even in this beautiful season, there are stories of brokenness. There are stories of pain and loss, difficulty, trouble. Help us to be a people that chooses to trust you and follow you in the middle of it, in the unknown, because we serve a God who knows all things and is working all things together for good. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious name we pray.